This is RevTech Podcast, where we discuss everything from business processes to measurement and technical alignment. The RevTech mission focuses on effectively managing and optimizing the go-to-market strategy through methodologies, tools, and best practices. We discuss the success criteria and technical fit guides for decision-making and ensure solutions align with the business goals. All right, our today's guest is Noam Parenchuk. Head of Partnership at uh, Walnut.io. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, you. Welcome. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah, welcome. Always happy to have more partnerships people on here. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with the, the basics. Uh, at a high level, what does Walnut do? That's a good question. I get that a lot. So Walnut is a B2B tech platform that helps companies create, personalize, and share interactive demos. So the way we're seeing it is that the world is changing. People just don't have the patience anymore to wait three meetings, four meetings until they see the product, then get on a 60-minute call and get asked 40 questions before they get to see the product. It's just not you know, how companies can sell in the future. So we're trying to help companies be able to easily create those demos and not just be the demos that you show on a meeting, but actually put the demo on the website and put the demo on a landing page and use it by SDRs as they reach out to prospects. Here's a personalized demo. So it's just leading with your product throughout the whole sales cycle um, instead of being very, very limited with it. That's high level. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love waiting three calls to learn what the product does. I don't <laughs> yeah, know what you're does. talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it, it always like being on the other side of it, it, it was also sometimes so painful where people just ask you discovery questions forever. And then you get to the end of the call and they're like, oh, we didn't have time. We'll schedule another demo. And then when you come out of that as a buyer, you're like, I just gave you a ton of value, but I got nothing in return. Yeah. Because I was just answering questions. Yeah, cool. You're going to use it in the next call, but the next call is, is the future. Will it happen? Will things change by then? It just doesn't feel right to do that. And then when I, I wrote like on LinkedIn about it and someone was like, people were like pinging me in like DMs saying like, yeah, but you have to do discovery and stuff like that. Agreed. Agreed. Never, I'm never going to say like, don't do discovery, but you can just weave it in, in a nice way while showing the product, like show a bit of the product and then ask questions. And then based on the questions lead to stuff, like it doesn't have to be a deck that just like a NASCAR slide and like we were established in 2015. No one cares. Uh, just like, you know, do it a lot more conversational and just like, hey, here's a bit of the product. Now answer a few questions so I can tailor the next part of it. Here's more of the product. That's just how people want to buy. And that's just like, especially when we see the generation change, like millennials, Gen Z, they just don't have, they, they just want to be engaged with the product the same way they do with B2C. Uh, they do with like, they get gym memberships. They do, you know, that you buy and then you can return. You just want to engage with the product before you buy. Same should and is already happening with B2B. And brands that get it and companies that get it are just benefiting from it. And others that are fighting it are honestly just going to lose. Because you will have competition that is doing it and is being a lot more, you know, uh, leading, leading with their product a lot more uh, entertaining to their uh, audience. Um, and then they'll, they'll just win the, the business. Yeah, I literally had this happen to me this past week. I will leave the company <laughs> unnamed, but I sat on a 45 minute call that was supposed to be a demo and got asked questions the whole time. Yep. And I was like, well, now I have to spend another 45 minutes doing this. Exactly. And it's it's painful and doesn't didn't make me think, oh, I want to convert from a free trial to pay for this product now, which is maybe where we could have gotten. Yeah. I think there's like a a large evolution in sales, generally speaking, in terms of like what does discovery look like and how do we train salespeople to evolve with this uh that needs to happen for and this is just a piece of it, which is exciting. Yeah. Our, our tactics are just meant for like Gen X and potentially even boomers that were decision makers in the past that, you know, had a different, you know, you know, different mindset, different patience. And just you, you could get into those conversations and have like a, an hour conversation would be okay. That would be like three, four meetings. But just like the executives now are different. And yeah. I think I, I did a little research like Gen Z, people think they're babies, but Gen Z is 97 officially. 97. So that's 26, almost 27 years old. Those could be founders or it could be decision makers in companies. We can't discount that. And those people have grown. I'm a, I'm a millennial. I'll expose that on the like, earlier side of the millennials. But like just Gen Z is very, very different 
from Gen X and boomers. And we just have to adapt our sales strategy and our marketing strategy and everything to that generation. Yeah. And even if they're not the decision maker, they might be the first person you're presenting it to, right? So they're going to be the stakeholder that's turning around internally and sharing more about it. Yeah. I think there's a one more thing I hear. It's, I see there's this tendency and obsession about being, you know, time efficient. Uh-huh. And we all are trying to be more efficient, right? We, we, we coming on the one hand, we're more aware, but at the same time, we're trying to, you know, value more time and try to allocate time to things that actually matter. So if you need to go back to something two, three times, you already have a feeling that you, you know, you're redoing something. Yeah. So having something done in one meeting, it's extremely helpful. Especially yeah. if the value prop of the product is this is going to make your life more efficient. And then the sales process doesn't yeah. match that. Yeah. 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 I, I've been working, this is like my fourth revenue tech gig. So it's a lot of times it's funny that like you're, you're demoing and you have to be very good while you're demoing because you're a demo software or like you have to do be very good at like discovery because you're software yes. around discovery. So you're being judged twice. You're being judged on your skill as the, uh, the one presenting that company, but also as the regular sales rep. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it, it's funny. We, we have to do that well. Like we get, we get called out when we don't do that well. But like uh, what you were saying, David, uh, uh, is it just like, uh, I agree that we're thinking about like, how can we be more productive? I find it funny that we're all trying to be very productive in our business life. But then outside people just end up scrolling for days on their phone, like doing nothing. But <laughs> in like the point. business, in the business setting, you want to be as efficient as possible just because you don't, you don't, don't waste your time. So if I can do something in an hour instead of three, four meetings, like I'll definitely choose that. I think everyone will. So it's not even, a, it's not even up for debate. You have to save that time for Instagram scrolling and TikTok exactly, scrolling. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's always on the list. That's true. <laughs> so what's the, what's Walnut's origin story? I know you weren't part of the founding the team, but what, how did it come to be? Yeah. Um, so it started in 2020. I think the, the founders, again, I wasn't one of the founders. I knew them before the company started, but uh, I wasn't one of the founding members. We're all like tech people working in tech and demoing, right? And I think w- the best ideas for products come when, you, when someone tells you the idea, you're like, oh, how did I not think about it, right? And it's just like pain points that we just take for granted as stuff that just exists in the world. And that's how life is, right? And like, for example, Uber, like with taxis, we're just like, taxis kind of suck. Uh, they're expensive. It's like, you have to call, it's like, what if, and then just someone just stood, you know, stood up and said like, hey, I can solve this. And I was like, whoa, that's a great idea. So the same with demos. I used to be a solution engineer for 10 years. And I just c- kind of took it as a given that demos, that everything around demoing sucks. And that's just like a given. Like creating a demo environment is not fun. You always have to fight everyone to do it. Engineers don't want to do it because it's not related to the actual product. Your CRO says like, yes, let's do a demo environment. But then when you have to prioritize things, it's always at the bottom of the list because it's not revenue generating. Uh, although it is, but it's not directly. So you kind of like get into that little situation. And, and then once you finally get everyone to help you do it, then it becomes obsolete immediately. And like, you know, new features don't get on it and all the dates look old. And you just like agree with it. And like everyone suffered quietly in their own companies just trying to solve this separately. And then it was just the idea of like, hey, here's a business pain that people kind of ignore and just take for granted. And it doesn't have to be that way. So let's just help people create those demos in an easier way. And that's where Walnut started more from like the sales and the SE use cases, less the marketing ones. of like, let's create a demo environment that's uh, bulletproof. That was one of the first customers when I was uh, uh, an SE at People AI. And then what we used it is we, we just like, what I, I tell people is that sales rep, and I love sales reps, but they can ruin everything. Like they can make anything crash. It's amazing. Like you think you gave them the safest thing and somehow they will get to a 404 message on a live call with an enterprise company. And you're like, how did you do that? So what we did was just like use Walnut to actually create a safe environment. It's like, you can only tell these stories. They will always look the same. The dates will always be, you know, next week, last week, whatever it needs to be. And just kind of keep it very safe and contained. And that's how we started. And that was kind of like the, the first year, year and a half. And then we just had customers saying like, hey, you know, I, I worked on this demo. It's great. How can I put it on my website? 
How can I like use it in my outbound? And that's where it be became a little more top of funnel focus from there. Is that part of your pitch as salespeople can break anything? It's, it's part of my, my personal <laughs> pitch. I know it's kind of, it, it's a little, uh, you know, controversial because sometimes you talk to like VP sales CROs, if they come to the conversation, you know, not like pretentious or like, hey, you're the, he's trying to sell to me and just have a conversation. They're like, you know what? You're right. Yep. Like sellers will break everything and a consistent, reliable demo environment is crucial for their organizations. They will admit that. Yep. You just need to like, you know, uh, get have them there. a nice atmosphere and get them there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it sounds like you you knew the founders, you used the product. What eventually convinced you to to join Walnut? What, how, what was the reasoning behind that? It sounds like you also have a lot of uh, pre-sales uh, companies in your background too. So I'd love to hear what, what drew you in. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was one of the early customers. I really liked the product. It really helped me get a lot of uh, recognition at AI because it, it helped solve a problem that, you know, me and my connection with Walnut and just like getting it up and running was really helpful. And then at some point, the problem with a lot of SE organizations is that there's nowhere to grow. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. And you just like see, okay, there's no real right way for me to advance here. And I love people AI. I still am very uh, close in touch with a lot of people there. There's just nowhere for me to grow. And then there was this like partnership on the product and the business side. I'll get to my role in a sec, but in a company that sells to SEs. So it was kind of like a nice jump to instead of like being an SE, I could do adjacent stuff for SEs, for like a product that helps SEs. So it was kind of like an interesting way. And I knew the founders from Walnut. I knew the, the VP revenue who hired me at Walnut. And we kind of stayed in touch since from the moment that I bought. And it was kind of like the, a nice, interesting adventure to go on. To, to go on. Yeah, that's a cool career route. I had a team member ask me earlier today, like, how do you get into partnerships? And I was like, a million ways. And we were having that discussion. And that's a, that's a cool route to think about because solution consultants are so familiar with so many products, not just their own, but all the products that they're using to help sell. And that's a cool route. They can obviously build relationships really well. So I like that, that new route into it that I hadn't really thought about before. On Partnership Leaders, which is like a community of partnerships people, uh, once I posted there, like, hey, how did you get, I just was curious with what you were saying. I was curious, like, how did you get into partnerships? And I gave, like, it's a poll. So you have to, like, give eight options. And it was just all over the board. A lot of, like, people coming from sales, obviously. Yeah. Account management, customer success, product, product marketing. And then people even added other stuff that I didn't even think about. There were, like, 13 or 14 values there with, like, a really scattered, and it just, it was interesting to see just everyone coming into this role from all different directions. Um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's my uh, pitch on it was like, do you like doing a little bit of everything? Then you'll probably like partnerships uh, yeah. and off to the races. So you just need yeah. to get given an opportunity. I so. think you forgot about one thing. You like to do everything without the resources. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. That's, that's a very common theme. <laughs> you need to do everything while asking all of the actual departments for help. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely my role. So I was the first hire on the partnership team at Walnut. And just like, I have to bring a partner program from scratch. So you have to be your own finance. You have to be your own legal, which is risky. We now have a legal, like inside legal, legal counsel that, you know, you can get assistance. You have to be your own sales, your own marketing, your own, you know, everything. <laughs> so, I've, I've yeah. worked in partnerships for almost 15 years and the amount of legal contracts I've developed by myself uh, is scary. And I just, yeah. whenever I leave a company, I'm like, well, hopefully that won't come back but to bite me anywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Shall we move to the go-to-market? Yeah, for sure. All right. So what type of customers does your product fit best? I mean, I think by now the audience can actually understand, you know, where you fit the best, but yeah. Um, yeah. Is there any ICP that you have in mind? Yeah. The ICP is pretty broad but very clear. It's SaaS companies, right? So essentially, if you need to demo your product, <clears throat> which is, can be opened on a browser, keeping it very simple, you can benefit from Walnut, right? Now, there are little, some edge cases where it's not the best fit. For example, companies that are all about uh, 3D, right? You know, all those products that you like, the demo has to be like you drag and you look at the, the vase from different directions, whatever that is. 
we use a, like we capture HTML and CSS. It just doesn't have that information. So that just won't work. Uh, and the other one if, is if your company is completely mobile, it's only mobile, like it's just an app that doesn't fit our uh, ICP very well. But other than those two little edge cases, any SaaS company can use us from like a small startup that can use us, a lot of small startups use us for, um, for pitching to VCs, right? Because mm-hmm. like you only have one shot with a VC, right? You don't, and you have a very clunky product, if at all, uh, because you're trying to raise money to actually build a product. It's probably showing Figma or a slides or whatever that is. So you use that all the way to enterprise companies that want to make sure that they have different demos by use case, by persona, by geo with different languages and all that stuff. That's cool. I didn't think about the the startup to VCs opportunity. Do you guys run any specific programs for startups or a special pricing there? Or is it just cost effective enough to to be interesting to them? So we just launched a, a pricing that's like startup specific. Um, it's it's tricky because like you, you want to do that, but you have to make sure that you don't burn a lot of resources doing that because you're not going to get money, a lot of money, right? You might have the next Uber, the next, you know, Google, the next Microsoft, whatever that is. That, that will grow with your product, but you can't make, you, you don't know that a now. Risky so you bet, can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's a risky bet. So it's, it's, we do work with a, a few like VCs that offer Walnut to their portfolio companies, but we don't have like an accelerator program. Like you get, you know, AWS credits or whatever that is. We don't do that. Yeah. That makes sense. So how do you see yourself against the competitors and what is making, uh, you know, your product unique, um, you know, between them? Yeah. It's funny because this whole industry is like, three years old. Most companies, uh, almost four, most companies in our space, interactive demos started in like 2020 until now. There's always like some popping up. Mm-hmm. There's a, a slightly uh, uh, more established company called Consensus that have been around for a longer time. They, do, they started with videos and now got into the interactive demo space. But honestly, the biggest competition for a, a new uh, category like us is no decision. You know how that is or just like use whatever has been working till now, which is like a dedicated demo environment, which is, you know, using Loom or Vidyard to create videos and stuff like that. That is always the toughest competition is like doing what you're already doing. A lot of our competitors right now chose a specific use case and went very deep on those use cases, on that specific use case. So we have a couple of competitors that are very focused on the marketing use case. So you will, they will enable you to create a demo, a demo and embed it on your website but you won't be able to share it in an email or you won't be able to, you know, create an actual demo environment for sales reps to demo live on a call, right? Uh, And there are other companies that are focusing only on that. What we're trying to build is actually a full funnel approach where everyone's engaging with Walnut demos from the beginning. So Mm -hmm. on your website and then people engage and you're tracking that in a timeline. We actually have a timeline feature that we're releasing soon. We're actually going to see like, hey, this account engaged on the website. Four people saw your your demo on the website, they went through this kind of demo versus that kind of demo, that person completed it, that person did not complete it. There's a lot of analytics that go into this compared to just like a video or anything like that. Then you will have the SDRs using it so you can see how many people engage with the, the demos that were sent to them before or after a first call. And you have sales reps and SEs being able to demo it live during the evaluation phase. Then also customer success can use it like, hey, we're launching this new feature in the next month. Here's how it's going to look like. Right? Can some customers even use it to prevent the whole like feature flag madness that sometimes happens in organizations? Like there's so many feature flags, and you don't really know which one's on for which customer and all that stuff. You're just like gonna send like, hey, here's how it's gonna look like in two weeks when we launch it. Give your comments on the demo itself, and would we'll, and you know, and we'll incorporate it. Um, so just tying all of that, the whole sales cycle and post sales into one product is where we differentiate versus our other competitors that you know, do very specific use cases, the differentiation versus do nothing. Obviously it's hard. You just have to like show the value, but the idea is that like you can show the ROI on, you know, doing this versus building your own environment or like, Hey, you can be a lot more efficient with your SCs. We all know what's happening in the world now. Like a lot of companies went from like having uh, one to 10 ratio for SCs, one, one to five to one to 10 ratio. Right. So now like, how, how do you do more with less SCs? That is another thing that you can build on top of it. But yeah, it's like th- these different kinds of competition. Yeah. Do you have any data around like how much it costs to build a demo environment that you can broadly share? I wish I did. I, I don't personally. Um, 
it's not that hard probably to calculate. It's like, you, it's just an annoying thing to do. Like you have to say like, like how many hours of the engineering yeah. and all that stuff. But like you can pretty quickly see that it's, it's very expensive. And it's not just building it once, it's also maintaining it. Like uh, when I was at Chorus, that was like 2018, we built a demo environment that we had to maintain it. It was just, uh, it, it seems like it's going to be a one-time project, but then you end up having like resources throughout the whole, you know, and like, okay, this new feature came out. How do we update it in the demo environment? Okay, an engineer has to upload it. There's like so much mess going on that like from that financial perspective, that's the easiest ROI story to tell. Yeah. The harder thing is when you're trying to say, hey, now all of your sales reps are going to use it. And that's where like change management comes into place, which is always hard with revenue organizations. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned uh, that there's been a little bit of a boom in this industry starting in 2020. What do you think started that? Was it just one company created and others said, oh, we could do this too? Or do you think the uh, like changes in the macro environment? What what do you think brought that on? That's a good question because I honestly have no idea. Because it's yeah. not like it was, it was new technology in 2020, but it wasn't. Like it was new because no one did it. It was, no one did it, but that technology is not hard. Like the barriers of entry here are not crazy, right? Like now a bit more, because like those companies are established and you do a lot more things and you do a lot more integration than analytics and stuff like that. But back in 2020, you find a way to capture HTML and resurface it and like, and then make it editable. It wasn't that hard. I think, so I don't really know why it only started there, but it boomed and it exploded because that also happened to be the year that COVID started. And then, you know, all of these things where, became virtual, you know, yeah. yeah. so everything became virtual. So you like, you have to demo on a Zoom and you have to make it perfect. And, you know, you have a lot less people because there were a lot, a lot of layoffs. So it kind of like became uh, a really important tech part of the tech stack for a lot of companies really quickly. Um, so that, that's, that's the boom part. Like that's the, the exponential growth. But why it started in 2020, and it w- it's weird. It's like three different companies, like the three largest companies in our space, which are Demostack, Reprise, and Walnut. Co- largest company, uh, you know, people on LinkedIn-wise, I don't know revenues. But uh, all started at pretty much the same time. How do you think, uh, you know, this this industry or maybe that segment is uh, developing now comparing to the 2020, right? Sounds like the 2020 was a boom. Now is this slowing down a little bit or this is uh, accelerating, it's maturing. What, what is your take on this? It, it is slowing down. I think, you know, you, you can't be delusional. Like a lot of, uh, this, we're talking about innovative revenue tech and that is not the number one thing on a, a CTO or CIO or CFO's agenda when it comes to, you know, 2023 and cost cutting, right? Like if you're going to buy software, people usually buy stuff that, you know, compliance, uh, you know, things that they have to run the business don't necessarily go to innovative tech for the revenue team, even though they understand the value. They're like, hey, you know what? Talk to me when, you know, I have more budget, when things uh, stabilize a little bit, which we're starting to see, right? I think everyone in the revenue tech space in general saw kind of like a decline uh, in the the last year. And they're starting, we're starting to see it kind of like go back up again. But I do think that companies are starting to realize, hey, this is going to come, things are going to come back. I'm going to have like hefty goals to hit. I'm going to have a certain amount of reps, less than I did before. And I need anything that can help me, uh, you know, scale with technology instead of with people. That's one thing. The second thing that I think is going to help us boom is just people are starting to really get the fact that millennials and Gen Z are different decision makers and different buyers. And I remember when I was in 2018 at Chorus, I joined as the first uh, person to build the SE team. And we were fighting every deal about like call recording. People like, oh, I don't want my calls recorded. It's so weird. And I remember telling people like, hey, you remember when you called, you know, AT&T the first time they're like, this call is being recorded. The first time you were like, that's kind of weird. But now you just hear it and you're just like, oh, whatever. Right. And I said, like, in five years, We'll be in a place where everything's recorded, all business, there's more bots than humans on calls, and everyone's just going to be okay with it. And people looked at me like, what are you talking about? No way. And we, we got to 2023, and I get on calls, and there's like Fathom, and Otter, and Chorus, and Gong, and like, there's something, there's like, it's such a commodity now that like, there's so many people just recording calls, and just a thing. And I think the same hap- thing will happen with demos, where it's just like, 
it's not the demo aspect, but it's like having your product surfaced everywhere for the buyer to see and engage with instead of waiting to meet with you. And then companies are starting to get that, that this is just where the world is going. And that is also helping us kind of like get out of that, you know, early 2023, the world is going to hell, like all businesses are, are doomed uh, era. Well, I think that like there's so much money in SaaS tech companies, right? Uh-huh. And so none of us were operating extremely efficiently. I mean, probably somewhere, but many companies were not yeah. operating very efficiently. So you could solve problems with people. I think we're in a place now where that's you can't anymore. Like you have to operate yeah. efficiently and that's profitability is a big part of um what we're being judged on, evaluated on. So there's lots of tools that have popped up that now help that. So if you use a tool to do something that you used to do, use a human to do, yeah, it really frees up the time for the humans to work on more strategic things. And that's now the goal is like, how do you make sure all those tools are working together and exactly. people know how to use them? And those are the problems to solve. Exactly. You used to just throw bodies at the problem and just like, okay, more people, I'll get more sales. And then now that also created a problem because it became a lot, very disorganized. Um, And then now you don't have those people, but you still, you don't have the people anymore, but you still have even the problems that they created. Uh, So I think, yeah, like any, all the technologies that can help make things better that integrate into your tech stack. So you don't have to spend too much time of like, okay, this data needs to be exported into this thing. And like you have one place where everything lives, which unfortunately is usually Salesforce, but a lot of companies are going uh, after Salesforce in that regard when it comes to revenue. And also generative AI, right? We can't ignore the fact that all companies in our spaces introducing that is to make it a lot, you know, uh, to scale everything. So, you know, you don't have to spend an hour writing a really long email. You can get, you know, the, the AI to help you start with that. So it's just like making whatever people you have remaining a lot more effective with tools and with AI. Yeah, so uh, I, I have a question. I want to go back to what you just said at the beginning of that section when you mentioned, you know, who you're selling to. Uh, it's more a question about how you're selling this. Um, it, you, you said that there, there, are, there are companies that just do something, right? I've seen the companies that were trying to set up this environment and. A Google Drive, yeah, which you know, a glance might look okay, but when you start using it, you definitely see this is not okay. Yeah. Um. So, how do you convince them? How how you take someone who is doing you know in the kind of workaround style everything in the company and say, you know what, this, there's a value here, and uh, here's a value. If you continue doing this, this is where you end up. When you buy from me. You know, you have this rainbows and unicorns in front of you, right? How you do it? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think it depends on the persona because there's different tactics based on the different personas. If you look at SE leaders, right, sales engineering leaders, you talk to them, they immediately understand the value. The problem with SE leaders, and I used to be an SE leader myself, we have we usually don't have a budget of our own. And we have to go to someone. Uh, I see uh, the pain in Lizzie's uh, face. She, she knows. She knows what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like it, it, it's you have to go to someone, and then you have to convince and all that stuff. It's funny. You just plant the seed in them, and you start work with them and start using it. And then the interesting thing is that it's kind of primed in their mind to look for errors in a demo environment. And then you know, after you talk to them, they're like, "Oh wow, the demo environment broke again. Oh cool. I now like you remember the conversation with Walnut. They're like, "Oh." We have this update. Oh, it's not in the new demo environment. And you're kind of like selling yourself, which is funny. Like we don't need to do a lot of hard work. We're just like, hey, there's a solution for this. If you're not ready now, just wait. And we can't, we're very confident with that use case that you will understand at some point, like, hey, this is too painful. I need software to help me with that. That's the easier one. With sales executives, it's a bit harder because they're being approached by everyone, right? Everyone's trying to sell to the sales executive. And you're trying to explain like why. And you, that is the story where it's like ROI. Like, hey, if I can help you, first of all, put the demo in a lot more sales reps' hands, free up the, the sales engineers report into you as the head of sales usually, right? Free up their time so they can deal with, you know, the more significant parts. So like you can build a whole ROI story of like, hey, you have, you could ask an SE leader and the um, a sales leader also knows how much time the SEs are spending on uh, 
like first first calls. And you can calculate that. That's not that hard. And you can say, hey, I can free up all your sales engineering time to just focus on stage three or above because I can enable your sales reps to demo the canned demo that they do on the first call, right? So you're kind of like building an ROI story of making their sales organization, their whole revenue organization more efficient. And on the marketing side, it's like conversions. We go to companies, they're like, hey, is your website converting well? Never, never. It's all garbage. Like, because what the problem is that the website are not, they're just SEO machines. Uh, so like, it's just to capture the audience. But then what do you do with that audience when they get to your web, web? People don't really know. Then you put a video that's like three minutes, no one's going to watch it. You put screenshots, no one understands what your product does from screenshots. So people, you just kind of say like, hey, try this out. And you're going to see, and the interesting thing is that people that try it out, they might see less people converting initially to like requesting a demo, requesting like the next stage. And they freak out a little bit. They're like, what? We used to have 100 a week. Now we have 80 a week. And we're telling them like, wait, uh, because what happens is that people that are not qualified, they just qualify themselves out with a demo because they see the demo like, oh, you know what? It's not what I was looking for. So instead of you spending a, you know, an SDR time on it, AE, potentially an SE on a call for them to be like, oh, actually, that's not what I need. You're just letting them qualify themselves out. And then the ones that do qualify, let's say it's 80 instead of 100, they know exactly what they want now, right? Mm. And you have that yeah. analytics too. You can say like, hey, that person went through the marketing ops persona path all the way through, didn't even touch the sales persona. And you have that information. So the sales rep gets on the next call. like, hey, we know you care about the marketing ops persona. Let's explore that further. So you're just speeding up the sales cycle. You have to convince them, right? Because a lot of marketers are just measured by conversion rate. They'll see that drop. They're going to be freak out. So you have to like, give them some education around like, hey, don't measure just the conversion on the website. Measure like, how they actually convert to closed deals. Yep. So that's, it's, a, like, it's a long answer to your question, but it really depends on the persona, how to... And I would say that the easiest one is the SEs because they, they know exactly what the problem yeah. is. And it's very clear. The other ones, you have to work a little bit. That's amazing how you actually have a conversation with the marketers. Lizzie and I are <laughs> coming from the environment that is heavy on marketing. And, and I never seen a situation where actually you, you're turning around on the metric that doesn't look good into something <laughs> that is harder to achieve. Yeah, which is the conversion to one, right? Because that's mm -hmm. what you're yeah. suggesting here. And because of the higher quality, you're going to have a higher chance to hit more deals that will close. Yeah. Well, sales biggest complaint is these sales qualified leads or marketing qualified leads aren't qualified enough. So yeah. you're just adding in a different barrier that's going to make them more qualified, which is going to strengthen that relationship. Exactly. Not, sales reps hate getting on calls just to be like, okay, that person's like not going to buy. There's no, zero chance. Let them qualify themselves out, but to like educate the organization about what you're doing <laughs> so they understand it instead of just like, oh, it was 100, it's now 80. Because there's a lot of vanity metrics in marketing that people, and when people are, that's their KPIs, that's what they focus on, which is not necessarily good for the business. It's good for their individual KPIs. And I don't blame them. Like marketers are just trying to hit what they're yeah. being measured on, but they, they have to like do the work of like educating the whole organization about how this actually helps the bottom line. And it's hard because sales... Uh, cycles can be three, six, nine months. So, and every company I worked on, like we could never like prove that in a trial, right? People like, we want a trial. Like, what are the KPIs that you want to do in the trial? How many deals we close? I was like, no way. Like, <laughs> yeah. we can't do that. That's also how it works. So like have to find all those like different KPIs in the middle, telling them like, hey, this is on the right track to show you the results you want to. And that's what justifies the purchase. So it sounds like you're doing some sales-led growth mm -hmm. for, for Walnut, some product-led growth by with the, the SEs and showing yeah. them the product. And are you doing anything outside of that? I mean, probably some marketing-led growth with education. Do you have partner-led growth in there? What's the mix look like? Yeah, so marketing, marketing. I'll start with that. Like our marketing is, is really strong. We like come out with uh, really funny viral videos. Uh, we have like a whole movement called We Are Prospects where companies join to like in a, in a mission to give a lot easier uh, buying process for companies and we have like funny videos around that that's the whole thing that's generating a lot of stuff obviously we have partner uh, generated revenue because that's me the idea is that we work in uh, a few different ways one we have referral partners not that interesting uh, we have resellers because our platform is very easy to use I'll show you that in a second but like it's very easy to use we have companies that just understand how to use it pretty quickly they get through our certification as partner certified and then they can act they actually use it 
with customers to get results. So those are mostly marketing agencies that, you know, digital marketing agencies do everything, right? They do yep. like a website optimization, they do SEO, they do, you know, branding, they do design, they do all that stuff. They just package this as one of their deliveries. Say like, hey, we're also going to create a demo and put it on your website that will convert better than screenshots and videos, blah, 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 blah. And they just bundle that within their services. Yeah, that's that is one way. Yeah. Um, and we also have um, business and integration partnerships to like, uh, we call it like, I call it like the foot in the door with enterprise companies. So we think about like Trustradius and G2. We integrate with those two companies where you can upload your Walnut demo into your G2 listing or your Trustradius listing. If you have Walnut, that's easy. Just paste the URL. If you don't, you can do it with Walnut for free. So that's a, a promotion that we do that will always be a promotion. Like I'm, my plan is to never monetize that specific use case. I think it's great, but there's no way to monetize that specific one. But what companies do, they create a demo, they plug it into their uh, G2 and Trustradius uh, pages. They see that it, it's converting better. Like the G2 founder, uh, the, one of the founders, they did initial testing and people clicked on interactive demo three times more than on a video and two times more than on a, uh, on a screenshot because they feel like, hey, I'm going to actually get value from this 100%. So once you do that, and as a company, you see that you know people are engaging with that, then if they want to expand to other use cases, that's where we're like, hey, you know what? We're not, we're not a nonprofit. <laughs> uh, you have to pay us for that. And that's how we yeah. get into the enterprise. <clears throat> so companies like IBM, uh, like mid-market companies like Datastax started with that use case and then expanded into like a paid version where they're actually publishing it on their website and using it for sales reps and all the other use cases we support. So there's those kind of like business slash integration partnerships yeah. that, I'm, that I'm working on, as well as agencies um, to, to kind of resell and, you know, use us as part of what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and the last bit is co-selling with companies. So uh, we're actually going to launch uh, integrations with uh, Gong and Salesloft in the next quarter or two. I'm obsessed with you two. I had a chance to <laughs> sit down with their head of revenue marketing at Inbound for three days and do sessions. And they're building some really cool products. And I think this is like part of the reason they're able to is how they're integrating with other companies and, and highlighting things. So I'm excited to see what they keep releasing. Exactly. And they're aligned with our vision. Like yep. those two companies, um, they just understand like, hey, people don't want to talk to sales reps immediately. They don't want to talk to sales reps a lot. They want to do a lot of the research on their own. They want to trust reviews. They want to understand the products before they talk to anyone. So it just it just was a perfect match to let them build demos. And like, yeah, G2 is doing a lot of stuff. They're doing like the deals where you can actually, you know, evaluate. They're doing stuff with RFPs. The whole labs function at G2 is amazing. Yeah, It's funny. It's like the founder, one of the founders is just like started doing like experimental stuff, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, they're, they're going to that, that path. And like, that's one of the partnerships that we focus on. Um, and yeah, I think I, there were the three that was like the, the referrals resellers, there's those tech like business partnerships and there's co-selling with companies in our space where we just provide a holistic, you know, approach of like, Hey, you're using sales loft for your cadences. You're using sales loft, the rhythm, the rhythm is their new product that they're launching. And like, you know, you will see all the different partner in, uh, information such as Walnut in it to make the best decisions, next best actions for the sales reps. So it's kind of like a good story to sell. Cool. And are you guys packaging it together and, and selling it? Or what does that look like? Or just referring in introductions more so? For now, yes. Yep. Um, because like Rhythm, for example, SalesLoft, which is the one that we're focused on right now, they're just giving that to all their customers. So they're not, uh, they're not pricing that separately. So we're just like, hey, you know, let's make intro. Let's make sure that our, both of our teams know the value prop, the better together story, and just like, you know, make those intros and get into uh, each other's accounts. Cool. All right. Shall we move to the demo? Hey, <laughs> if it, let's you know see the bar thing. is high now, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. I hope that my internet will hold uh, for it. But yeah, let's uh, share screen from here. So Asana is just a good, you know, platform for me to demo as if I am now, I'm putting the hat of a solution engineer or a product marketer at Asana that wants to build a demo of Asana, let's say for the website, right? Then what I do is I open my own platform, in this case, Asana, and Walnut is an extension, right? It's the browser extension. That's why we say you have to be a SaaS company in order to use us because we have to open the platform on, a, on an extension. And then I can create what we call a template. So I'll call this uh, podcast template, right? 
and then I save it. It just does a little refresh, and so it's ready to go. And then the first part of using Walnut is what we call the capture process. We want to make it as easy as possible to capture all the different screens and elements you want to include in your demo. So you have this thing called continuous capture, which means that every click will be captured. You can do like timed if you want to make sure you have enough little countdown to open a little dropdown. There's a lot of different ways to make it easier. I'll put continuous capture and I'll click play here. And then what happens, you'll see that this little one here, so it's capturing this first screen. And now it's ready. And if I go to my tasks, with every click I do, the screen will be captured, right? So the whole idea is that if, let's say I want these three screens, so home, my tasks, inbox, and let's say I want goals, right? So this took what, like 30 seconds and I captured these four screens. So we wanna make that super easy. Now I'm gonna pause it and I'm gonna go into Walnut with this button. So now what I'm seeing is those four screens from Asana with the names that were automatically captured, and, but they're now within Walnut, right? So if I mm -hmm. go in here and I click preview, you'll see that it feels, it looks and feels like the real thing, right? Like hovers work. It doesn't feel like a screenshot. But if I click, you see this little kind of like a flashy thing. It just tells me what was mapped and what wasn't. So if I go to my tasks or inbox or goals, I can go between those four as much as I want. But if I want to click on portfolio, it won't let me because I didn't map that. And that's on purpose <laughs> because you don't want to just show everything and let people just play with your product, especially when it's a marketing use case that never goes well. You want to show them a specific use case within your platform by mapping only the relevant pieces of information. So yep. we captured, we brought everything in, and now we can start editing. So now I can say, instead of good, off good afternoon, Noam, I can say good afternoon, John, right? So I can change anything on the screen. Instead of September, I want it to be October 26, whatever I want. And I could even change this to be like a variable where it's not always going to be John, but like a sales rep that is launching a demo from this template can, you know, insert the prospect name or insert the prospect logo, right? There's a lot of different things I would like to change, but I can change anything, right? Instead of upgrade, I wanted to say try now. Uh, instead of... Upcoming, I want to delete the upcoming, so I just remove and uh, delete this element, right? So it just gives me a way to play with a replication of my product. So I'm not touching anything in my actual backend, of course. Like, I'm not ruining anything. I, this is like a copy that I can play with to tell the right story, whether it's on a live call or on the marketing front. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and how do you see teams using this for the most part? Like, is the, the engineering or SE team creating these templates and then they're editing it? Or are sales teams actually creating some of these templates as well? No, so this would be the SE. Like if it's the uh, sales yeah. use case, it will be the SE doing everything so far that I did. And it's going to be like a product marketer doing it if it's a marketing use case. Or maybe if it's a small team, the SE can do it for the marketing team as well. Yeah. But this will all be anything on the template work, which is what we're doing now, would be an SE. But then when you launch a demo that's what a sales rep would do, right? So cool. if I make this a variable and I say, instead of good morning, John, when a rep launches it, they will be able to input whatever they want to this value. So you want to keep it like the SEs are the one building and the AEs are the ones presenting. Yeah, that makes sense. So if I'm this like a sales use case, I now have this environment that I can go between these four tabs. It will always tell the same story that I wanted to. But now let's say I want to put this on my website. That's where we have this thing called guides. So I can create a new guide, which would be a bunch of annotations and bubbles guiding you through a process instead of just, you know, all the different tabs that you can click wherever you want. So we'll create this new guide, click save, and then I'll add a step. And then I'll attach it to, uh, you know, this whole element. And I will, and then I can start putting it as like as a modal in the middle. And I can say, welcome to this Asana demo. And I can do whatever I want. Like I can add, I can change the fonts. I can brand it. I can add videos. I can add uh, uh, audio. I can even use the open AI to like help me craft this by, uh, you know, just using it to uh, be a lot more creative with the way I tell my story. But the idea is that this, this bubble exists here now on the front page and I can click done and I can go to the next page and say like, okay, now I want it to go to my tasks. So the next step would be my tasks. And I'll say, these are my tasks. 
Again, I'm going through a very, very simple and basic flow. But now if I click preview, you'll see that it says, welcome to this Asana demo. And I can't click anywhere because I want them to go through the buttons, the next buttons, right? And if I click next, it will go, here are my tasks. So this is more of like what we call asynchronous flow, where someone is viewing it and someone is engaging with the demo on their own, on their own time, which would be a website, which would be if you send it to someone. So that's where you want to guide them through those little bubbles, showing them where they need to go. And, but if you're using it for the use case of a sales rep presenting live or an SE presenting live, that's where you will have the, what we call linear, which is the asynchronous one. And we have nonlinear, which would be the one that's for live demoing, like what you see here when, when you just click wherever you, wherever is mapped already. Got it. So, so I'm assuming you're creating this like a processes, right? So you have like multiple use cases by persona, uh -huh. by ICP, perhaps, you know, different industries and maybe some specific things that the product can serve. And then you're building these flows and then you know, the sales teams and the SEs that can use it as they work with the prospects and the customers. My question is, how do you measure success of these flows? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we do have insights. So it's interesting that you, you brought that up. But the idea is that you, we do measure everything, right? So you can see, for example, this is our uh, embed uh, on our website. You can see the amount of sessions, the amount of viewers. You can see the different funnel between the screens, like how many people convert from screen to screen, right? They all start here. How many people go to this screen versus that screen? So as an SE, you get a lot of feedback also about how much, uh, how many guides they've seen, how, what is the completion rate? There's a lot of different insights that you can get from an SE's perspective to understand, hey, this is a good demo, right? Um, and that is the easiest one to start with, where it's like, hey, let's evaluate everything with the product itself. We now actually literally this week, we're launching our um, V2 of our um, Salesforce integration, where you can tell a much more interesting story tied to the company objectives. So it's like, how, many, how, how much quicker are deals moving when you show them a demo versus when you don't? Like, is the sales cycle shorter? Are the deals larger? Is there, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ROI metrics you can assign now when you're merging that with business information coming from Salesforce, right? So uh, you can understand and you can see, okay, opportunities, do opportunities close more when you show them a demo at stage two or when you show them a demo at stage three? All these questions can now be answered. And that's what a VP sales, head of sales, CRO cares about. That's where you have a lot more interesting conversations. Don't get me wrong. I used to be an SC, so I don't think it's not interesting, the conversations you will have at an SC, but they're a lot more tactical. It's like, hey, my demo is, you know, people get stuck at uh, step five out of 10. People get to step, whatever. But if you can actually go to CRO and say like, hey, when you do a demo in stage two, you close 40% higher than if you don't do a demo at all. Then the, the CRO will be like, buy this now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I have a very important question. Was that a walnut demo that you just showed us? No. <laughs> Missed no, opportunity. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. We, we do sometimes do that. The problem is that when you do a walnut demo on a walnut demo, people get confused because you're kind of like in uh, inception mode. Yep. Right? And like which level is reality? We do have our SDRs do a walnut demo of, of a demo. But I, I as, a as a partnership person, do my own thing kind of. No, totally fine. Gets a little too meta. Yeah. Yeah, like you don't know if you're in the demo or if you're in the actual and you're just like, wait, I clicked and just like, it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I can see that. <laughs> so do you have like any any examples uh, based on the demo that how your tool is helping the go-to-market functions work and collaborate better between them? Uh, I mean, each of them can use in a kind of their own silo objectives and processes based away. But is there anything that is just bringing them all together uh, with the tool? Like the simplest uh, application of that is just like you can edit, multiple people can edit the same template, even at the same time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've used Miro, right? When you see all the little, uh, yep. everyone's like moving around, it's very fun. So we have that as well, where you can collaborate on that. I think what it helps is it helps create consistency. Uh, consistency as, as a very important thing. Collaboration as well, but like the fact that you can have um, and SD say like, hey, these are the demos we're working on. And once they update that demo, 
it gets updated automatically in all of the instances, right? Because what happens a lot of the times is that you have all these scattered resources and you have this one rep using a really old demo and this one rep not using a demo at all. You kind of make this a lot more consistent with like, hey, here's the resource. I updated it. I published the update to everyone. So now everyone gets the same thing, right? And everyone's talking the same language. And I think that the fact that also reps have input, right? They do launch it with their different customizations that gets them a lot more involved in the demo creation process. It's not just like, hey, SE, get me what I need so I can, you know, show it on a call. They're part of it. Uh, and they have users within Walnut. They can't change everything, right? Because <laughs> again, we, we, we talked about the fact that reps can break whatever they want. You don't want them to break your demos in the internal system, but it's a lot more like, hey, you're part of the demo creation process and you're doing that. And the same with marketing, right? Like a marketer could just get a license, be like, hey, this is what we're showing to prospects. Duplicate that demo, simplify it and put it on the websites. Just the fact that there's one platform that has all of that in one place is good compared to, I think, Dimitris mentioned, like a Google Google drive with like a bajillion demos. You don't know who owns it. You don't know Everything. what time. The, it, it's just a mess. Just that is, it's not the sexiest value prop, but it is a very big value prop of just like having one place where everything is uh, stored. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like what we kind of talked about already, the collaboration happens for, for between marketing and sales on what kind of leads they're handing off. Right. And what is the story that marketing's telling and how does sales expand on that. So they no longer have to tell the basics, they can then go deeper into use cases. And that's um, like navigating that is going to help those two teams collaborate. And if they find something that the sales teams find something like, hey, prospects are coming in and they never know about XYZ thing, can we yep. make a demo on this uh, to, to make yeah. sure they're aware of it? So yeah, and I think just even the fact that like walnut can be used as like a, a, a verb like, uh, did you walnut this? We, we have customers that we, we, they send us from their internal Slack. Like, because um, for example, in SC, SC leaders, product marketing leaders, whenever a new f big feature comes out, there's like a checklist of stuff that needs to happen, right? There should be a checklist of like, okay, were, were, were people trained? Was the website updated? And one of it should be, are, do we have demos of this, yeah. right? It's like we have companies say like, hey, did you walnut this? It's like a checkbox. So just the fact that people have the, the the mind it just gives them the right mindset to collaborate on that uh is critical so what's next yeah. in terms of the product what are the things you've mentioned a couple of things but what are the things that yeah you're really excited about that are coming out yeah so personally i'm excited about a lot of integrations that we're rolling out because i'm in partnerships and that's what we do so for example a lot of top of funnel integrations we're launching integrations with marketo and hubspot and pardot where you can you know, create leads directly from Walnut demos. You can put your own form on a Walnut demo and you can put it anywhere in the demo, right? So you can Very experiment cool. with that, which yeah. is fun. Like instead of just like at the front, just like, hey, put all your information. It's, it's always a trade-off, right? You, you, the more information you get, the less people are gonna fill it up. So you can kind of like build it in a, in a nice way where it's like, okay, you show a little bit and then you ask for one thing and it's all synced to Marketo, Pardot and, uh, and uh, HubSpot. And our Salesforce integration, that is, you know, V2, v, V1 was very basic. It was logging tasks within opportunities, but now it's a full managed package that comes with out-of-the-box reports that tell you exactly what is the ROI you're getting from Walnut, how it's influencing your business. And that, that's just a really interesting story uh, that I, I think is crucial for all the companies in our space, uh, because that is, the, that is the leap that you go from the tactical conversations and the low five-figure deals to the strategic conversation and the six and seven figure deals, because you're talking to the CRO, you're showing the ROI of the platform instead of talking about small features. And those integrations allow you to go, like they, they buy you that seat in the table with the people that can spend that amount of money. Yeah. And is that the Salesforce integration, is it pushing data into Salesforce, pulling data, data out of Salesforce into Walnut, a little bit of both? What does it look like? Both. So... Mostly into Salesforce, both because you can manually attach an opportunity to a demo. But the goal is that we're trying to do that automatically based yeah. on the people that, you know, based on the engagement. But you can do that yourself manually. But yes, the whole idea is that we're saying like, hey, we're still a point solution. We get that, right? We're not a platform. We're not a Salesforce. Like we don't have those delusional ideas. We want our data to be part of the decision making for business leaders. That's it. Yeah. And where do they need that data? In Salesforce, that's what every RevOps person will say. 
like I need all of the data in one place. Um, Salesforce HubSpot, you know, yeah. Sugar CRM, whatever CRM you're using. I need it in the CRM. Uh, so that's what we're doing, just to be a lot more visible in the process. And then the other integration that I'm working on, like with SalesLoft and Gong, is being in their timelines and being in their action items so that it becomes part of the process. Because I worked in it with enough revenue organizations to know that all you need is one successful time for the sales leader to see it. And they'll be like, oh, you closed, they could go to the rep, they're like, oh, you closed this deal, great, what did you do? Oh, I did X, Y, Z, and I sent them a walnut demo. They'll be like, oh, you sent them a walnut demo, great. They'll just say like, hey, on the next all hands with all the revenue team, like, hey, share that. everyone, everyone used, yeah, share that. Like everyone from this day must use Walnut at stage two because it converts whatever that is. And then boom, you have like 30, 50, 100 people adopting your product immediately because of one good story. I know how that can work. I've seen it work with other technologies. So the more visible you are, the higher the chances that that will happen. Yeah, it, it sounds like most of what you're doing is just making the product easier to use. So easier for the marketing team to use because they can integrate lead forms into Walnut. Uh -huh. Easier for the sales teams to use to show up in their automation platforms, which makes a ton of sense uh, yeah. with all the tools that they are already using. And I think that's where the differentiation will come from because I hear a lot of conversations about like, oh, what about drop downs? What about like an interactive stuff? All that's very tactical, and that's good. at some point, that's going to be just table stakes with all of our competitors and us. Like, we're all going to be able to capture the same stuff. You know, if we're four months late, if a competitor is four months late, it doesn't matter. No, none of that is proprietary or, like, very defensible. Yeah. But when you're talking about, like, the integration and the story you tell about how you influence the business by connecting very deeply and, you know, uh, maybe later on doing like predictive stuff of like, oh, based on the, the information we have here in the CRM, here's the demo that you should show. You should show it at this point of the sales cycle to that title. There's a lot of stuff you can do with once you have all that data. And I think that's what excites me more, more of like the, the data aspect of it and how, how and where and why you push the data to different places versus all the like, you know, design stuff. Because I just think that that will be solved anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I'm focusing on the stuff that won't be solved anyway. Yeah, it's like the ease of use and then the the second layer of that is like the predictability data to help inform what should be used in that easy to use uh, process. Yeah. And you mm -hmm. talked a little bit about you had an open AI that you quickly covered, uh, yeah. always a hot topic. So how are you guys thinking about AI within the, the product? Yeah, so right now we have a, a, a small part of it using AI. Like I, I, won't want, I won't, don't want to like exaggerate. It's it? just like... Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not in sales. I'm in partnerships, right? But the idea is like, yeah, like you, if you need some ideas of like, hey, here's how I want to present this, or like I want to present this idea. How do I chunk it into different bubbles? You can use that integration to kind of like you saw there. It's just like a, called the magic button, and you can like say, hey, I want to tell a story about this, this, and this, and it can help you craft it. I think AI. Once we have all that data in place, that's where AI will be a lot more interesting. Like the example I said of like using an AI, AI and not necessarily the generative AI, but just like AI to machine predict, learning, yeah, machine learning to predict like, hey, based on all of this history, right? So now we'll have everything tied to opportunities. And you know, six months you take six months to learn. You're like, okay, opportunities in the healthcare sector. When you show them a demo at stage two and you have a director level involved, the deal ends up closing at. 40% versus when you don't. And that's what every company in the revenue space is working on using AI or just like guiding that next best action or like explaining like, just do this and you'll close. Just do that and you'll close. I think it's a lot harder than it looks. But if you have the right data and you're focused on a very small domain, you can make it happen. Yeah. If you're trying to take everything into consideration, that's super hard. Like yeah. it's so noisy. You know, everything can work really, really well and all the predictions work well. And then that company has a round of layoffs and all of your contacts are gone. Cool. <laughs> like, and then it's a closed loss. It could have been really well, but like it's closed loss. And then that gets into the model and then you're starting to have a lot of mess. But if you're focused on like, hey, demo activity, how does that affect conversions? Limit it to like four or five fields from the CRM, like industry, size, title of the contact. Keep it very simple and use a lot of the data that you have on the demo that's proprietary to you. Like, uh, you know, how many screens they went through, how many guides they completed, how much time did they spend, stuff that you and only you have. That's where you can really make, like, interesting predictions relevant to your specific data set. Do you plan to use the connected data with the content itself 
uh, and some behavior behind uh, the video itself that it's played and, and people are clicking in the different places. Anything that is more sophisticated and predictable in that space? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think like, yes, at some point you can get into like heat maps and when they're, yeah. where they're spending time and you can get to like different levels of like what is the content on the screen, which again, just uh, complicates things because you have to now read the, like to actually get that. And like you have to, you know, from a legal perspective, you have to let them know. There's a lot of like complications there. I think right now we're focusing more on like the, the content you generated. And there's a lot of like best practices that we already have, like how long a demo should be when it comes to screens, like how, how much text you need to put on each annotation. It's a little more tactical specific to that. But hopefully we want to expand it to like also talk about, you know, tying that to business uh, results. I don't think that there is anything like what you're talking about in our immediate roadmap as far as I know. Should we move to kudos in the industry? Shout outs? Two companies that I'm excited about. Um, yeah. <clears throat> one is uh, Salesloft, uh, which I mentioned before. They're kind of like, so all the companies in that space, Gong, ZoomInfo with Chorus, Clary, um, Salesloft, Outreach, all of them are trying to own like the whole you know, timeline of events. And they all came from different places. Right? Outreach and Salesloft come from, sales, uh, from outbound sales, from cadences. And Gong and Chorus is coming. Well, ZoomInfo is coming from the data space, and Gong is coming from conversation intelligence, and Clary is coming from uh, uh, from forecasting. They're all kind of like merging into the same area of like we want to be the source of truth. I think Salesloft uh, with their new Rhythm product, I'm really excited about that because that really looks good and like has a lot of different data points like feeding into it, and has like a machine that tells you what is the next best action, like the promise that everyone's looking for. Again, uh, it's hard to tell if it works perfectly, but like they're on the right direction. And what I like about Salesloft as well is their whole partner motion. It's very, very like uh, partner heavy and very, they're very engaged with their partners. They work really well with their partners on like, hey, now that this integration is built, how do we actually go to market together with it? Better than other companies. So I'm excited about Salesloft from that perspective. And the other one I wrote, which is probably something no one really... I don't know if you've heard about Olive AI, Olive no. without an E. So I got a demo from their uh, uh, founder a couple of weeks ago and they're a conversation intelligence. So, you know, I'm very close to that because I used to work at Chorus. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm very interested in that area. Um, and they built that whole thing with AI from the ground up versus all the other companies that are now introducing AI features, but they built it with like generative AI from the beginning. So during the demo, at the end of it, they um, took the bot off and they showed me the Slack message that they got right after, like, you know, literally five seconds after they took the bot off. And it summarized our conversation perfectly until that moment. It was like, hey, here's what you talked about. It was like a one paragraph and then like the action items. And I was blown away because, you know, I working at Course in 2018, like people wanted that. And we were yeah. always saying like, hey, I, I always kept saying like, I don't think you can summarize a 45 minute discovery call in a paragraph. But... It now seems you like can? we're getting now you <laughs> it's like you you're getting very close to it again it won't be as as robust but they even told me like you can like um play with a sensitivity and you're like oh I don't want it in one paragraph I want it in three paragraphs or four paragraphs and then you'll get more information so like just having a technology for conversation intelligence that was built on all the stuff that everyone's getting excited from the last year but built completely from the ground up on top of that it's cool because that's a very crowded space. It's hard to sell conversation intelligence now. There's a lot of free or very cheap options. But if you sh start showing these kinds of elements, where so it's like right at the end of the call, Slack message with everyone involved with all of the different details you care about, that's very cool. And they're a small team. They're just like a really early staged. I'm really excited for these companies that start building with generative AI like from the beginning because yeah. I think it's harder to change how you do you basically have to say like let's forget all this technology we've already built for predictability or machine yeah. learning or whatever it may be and start with uh generative ai so i'm excited to see what comes out and i hope uh -huh. people kind of follow this the sales loft model of like let's partner with these companies and yes. not try to build it in-house that yeah. would be the best case scenario uh -huh. yeah. and i think we see more and more of these use cases using generative ai uh, in more yeah. of these technologies, I also seen something similar that you describe as Olive AI, that was uh, 
filling all the fields in Salesforce automatically yeah. based on that conversation. Mm -hmm. So uh, for years, I was trying to push the sales reps to enter the inform information after every single call with the various results, as you can imagine. Now you have a system that's doing this for them. I think they're going to be delighted. If that works, I'll tell you what. So I know we're out of, we're out of time, but like I used to work at People AI as well, and People AI, that's what they do, right? It helps you like put data in an automated way into Salesforce. It's not the Salesforce fields, but they're going to like create the contacts automatically and the activities and the tasks. And it was always like a dream for me of like, can it actually put your medic or your med pick or your there band you or whatever qualification in the actual, if there is something that actually takes a 45 minute conversation and really understands how to distill the pain and put that in two sentences, that is a billion dollar company. Oh yeah. Um, is it possible? That's my question. I think we're getting close. Like five years ago, I would say, hell no. Now I'm saying like, I'm still skeptical, but it, it, it seems closer and closer to being able to actually populate that as if a rep put it there. Yeah, I think we can eliminate the human involvement, but I think we can reduce yeah. and significantly. I think that's that's what the use case is for these type of solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, this was great. Uh, I think we had a really good conversation about, about a bunch of different things. I know you do other podcasts uh, and are, <laughs> are all over the place. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, hear other conversations, maybe chat yeah. with you? Yeah, so um, I'm not on Twitter or X or whatever it's called right now, or it's going to be Who called is? by the time this goes, <laughs> goes on li live. I don't know. But yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best one to, uh, to find me there. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. The podcast I, that is also kind of complementary to this, it's a, l a lot more, goes deeper into selling to millennials and Gen Z, is what I did with uh, Close.io. And if you, it's fun. If you uh, Google uh, selling to millennials, it's like one of the first two options, which is kind oh, of cool. cool. Um, but uh, yeah, LinkedIn would be probably the best uh, place to find me. And if someone wants to email me, then they need to understand my last name because it's first name dot last name at Gmail. So that's a tricky one. But <laughs> I like that puzzle yeah. that they have to solve. <laughs> yeah, they have to solve a puzzle and then they can get at me. <laughs> yeah. All cool. right, guys. So let's wrap this up. Uh, that's it for the episode. Thanks for joining us and sharing your demo and details. Appreciate that. And uh, I think this is a, this is a great introduction to the old demo world and how to do this efficiently. So thanks for listening and watching. Bye. Cool. Thanks. thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the RepTech Podcast. Please subscribe on the listening platform of your choice and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing.